Welcome to The Wonder, exploring perspectives, rituals, and observances of modern naturalistic, earth-revering, pagan religious paths. Here are your hosts, Yucca and Mark. Welcome back to The Wonder, science-based paganism. I'm your host, Yucca. And I'm Mark. And today we are honored to have another guest. So Lauren, who is a new member of the Atheopagan Society Council. So welcome, Lauren. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. We're really excited to have you. So thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. I'm so tickled to be here. (laughs) Yeah. So Lauren, will you tell us a little bit about you and your, I guess, as we were saying, Atheopagan origin story? Sure. And you know, I think like a lot of these stories, it's a little long. So forgive me if I get kind of long winded here, but I oh, hope that's that you so know. much fun. We love to listen to it. So <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, I, I'm sort of hopeful that some of what I, I talk about could just help someone else. So I figured I would lay it all out there. So yeah, I'm, I'm from New York. I'm from New York City. And I grew up in a, I would say fairly Catholic family. We went to mass regularly outside of just like Christmas and Easter. I was an altar girl. I had my first communion, sort of like the whole, all the steps that you do as a child in the Catholic church. And I really loved it. Like I loved being an altar girl. I loved being part of rituals and ceremonies and made me feel important and special. And I really loved the community that we had in the church as a kid. But as I got a little bit older, when I was sort of like an early adolescence, my mom came out as a lesbian. And as you can imagine, this was like the early 2000s. Being part of the LGBTQ plus community and the Catholic Church didn't really mix. So we left that community. And at the same time, again, early 2000s, there was a lot of just like witch stuff happening in pop culture. Like Mm -hmm. the Harry Potter books were like exploding. All this stuff was going on. And I expressed an interest in that and an adult in my life was like, oh, hey, you like witchy things? Like, let me bring you to this new age bookstore. So I went to this new age bookstore and I bought a couple of books on Wicca and it was just like a complete revelation for me. I was so enamored with with Wicca, with learning about this whole religious practice that was it it felt magical and empowering and you know feminist and accepting and all of these things and i was just still a really deeply faithful person like completely believed in god and i remember reading a passage in one of the books that i got that was like you can imagine god as a diamond and in christianity you're just looking at one facet of the diamond and this was a way to like look at all of these other facets and i just love that so throughout my my whole teenage era, I had this like fairly serious solitary practice. I never tried to build any sort of real life community. I think the stigma was just like too high for me to ever even try. But I would like read stuff online and and I would do ritual by myself. When I was in my, I guess around 20 years old, late teens to, to 20, sort of two things happened that kind of pushed me to a different place. So unfortunately, I had this tragic experience where my best friend from childhood passed away. Hmm. And that triggered like a classic crisis of faith where it's, you know, why does God let bad things happen to good people? 
And I couldn't find a satisfying answer to that question. And I also met the person who would become my my life partner and, and now spouse, who just moved at that time from the UK to the US. And I think sort of found himself in this place of like, wow, like everything is really Christian here in this way that I feel really uncomfortable with. And he was sort of one of the first like loud atheists that I'd ever encountered. So for the rest of sort of my early 20s, I just, I was in this process of deconstructing. And I remember being about 25 and I I toted around like those same books I bought from that new age shop, <laughs> like to all these different apartments, all these different moments in my life. And I recycled them because I couldn't reconcile the idea of hanging on to that stuff with just not believing in God anymore. And I cried like it was a really painful moment, but it just sort of felt like this is what I have to do to be. To, to not have that cognitive dissonance in my mind. So that's where like this other big thread of, I guess, my origin story picks up, which is like the environmental activism piece. So I've, I've always been involved in social justice movements of various kinds, like basically from childhood. I'd always done environmental and sustainability work through like high school and college. And then I was living in New York City when Hurricane Sandy hit in 2012. And for mm. people who aren't particular, aren't familiar with that particular climate disaster, it was really devastating. So after that, I I was trying to figure out how to make climate action my job and how to like make a, a career fighting for a livable planet. So eventually it took me a couple of years, but that led me to law school. And I decided to try to become an environmental lawyer. I started law school in the fall of 2016 in Washington, <laughs> D.C., <laughs> and people listening from the U.S. probably remember that we had a little election that year and Donald Trump was elected basically right as I started law school. Mm. So I spent those three years that I was in law school just like completely burning the candle at both ends. 110% in on like all of the things. <laughs> so during the day I was like interning at environmental law organizations and taking classes and evenings and weekends. I was like, if you can think of a way to take like civic action, like I, I did it. I attended protests. I organized it at least one. I called Congress. I worked in Congress. Like I just did all of the things. It was a really crazy three years, but I think a lot of us who were in law school in particular at that time, in DC felt like we had this huge responsibility being physically there to like do everything we could both on the democracy front and on the climate front. So I was, I was glad to be there and glad to do it. So after I graduated, I spent a year working for a judge in New York. We were trying to come back to New York and we were able to do that. It's this thing called clerking where you spend a year working for a judge and when you're clerking, you're not allowed to do any political activity at all. And you could do a whole separate podcast about why that's like unfair and a little bit silly, but it is what it is. So it was this strange sort of pause in my life where I couldn't do all of the things that I had been doing, you know, basically for the previous decade. And then in the spring of my clerkship year, COVID happened. So mm -hmm. it was like a doubling down where it felt like, you know, I think maybe in some ways, particularly where we were right in the heart of it for many months, everything was falling apart and I felt like I could do nothing about it. And that was really hard. I was, I think, tired and scared. And I remember saying to my partner, like, I 
I need to pull on something that is not myself. And I don't know if that makes sense outside of my own head, but it was this moment where I think I was really longing to like turn to prayer like I would have when I was a person of faith and I just like couldn't do that. So it just tugged me back towards paganism and thinking like, is there is there any way that I could work this back into my life in a way that feels authentic? The other thing that was sort of happening that year too is we had just gotten married and we were thinking seriously about starting a family. And that raises all sorts of questions too about like, well, how, how are we going to raise this kid? And we're two people who don't believe in God, but we want community around our kid and thinking hard about those questions and the sort of life that we wanted to build in that way. So I just started poking around on the internet. And I think, you know, many Googles in, I found the SAS Reddit page. <laughs> and on some some post, I saw a comment that mentioned atheopaganism, and I like found the community from there. So I guess I've only really been in the community. I think it's been like less than a year, but I've just been, you know, it was such a wonderful moment when I found it because it's like, oh my gosh, not only are there other people who like believe how I believe, but they've like built a community and a whole thing. And just the more I read, the more excited I got. So I've just been really thrilled to be here, even though though it took me a long time to find it. I'm really glad that I'm here now. Yeah. So that's my origin story. That's wonderful. Yeah, that is. That's a great story. Wow. Myself, I got bitten by a radioactive spider, but we'll, (laughs) we'll talk about that another time. Um, um, for those who aren't familiar, SAS. Oh, yeah. I think it's something called, it's something like skeptical, skeptical. atheist, and science seeking witches. So it's yeah. folks who are into sort of rituals and practices to help them develop themselves, but they don't believe in what I would call like Harry Potter style magic. It's sort of the magic of working with your own psyche. So that that really resonated with me. And I think there's a fair amount of crossover, like there folks is. who are in that community and folks who are in this one. Yeah. 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 And what were some of the things that when you found the Ethiopian community that really stood out to you that you were like, oh, this is this part is what I'm connecting with? Yeah. You know, I think just sort of the basic framework that we are all folks who are here because we think the earth is sacred and we want to find ways to celebrate that and celebrate life in community and, and just a rejection of things that aren't verifiably real in a way that didn't feel, I guess, demeaning or, or like there was any ridicule. And that mattered a lot to me because like some of the most important people in my life are people of like deep faith and, I've, I've never been super comfortable with the sort of like, let's all just make, make fun of Christian mm-hmm. sort of tact. And I didn't feel like I saw that here a lot. And I was also really struck, like when I joined the Facebook group, there are those three screening questions that basically I think are designed to like weed out folks who, you know, are not ready to say Black Lives Matter or to, you know, be willing to live their values. So the fact that those were right up front, I think, immediately put me at ease. Yeah, it's, you know, probably not obvious to listeners, but I'm a, a Black and Latina person. And I think, you know, <laughs> the, the pagan world, <laughs> as I've encountered it, it's like a fairly white space. So there's a little bit of guarding that I have coming into any sort of pagan mm-hmm. community. So there were signals right off the bat that like, this was a place where it was going to feel comfortable. And I think once I kind of got past the screening questions, all of that, that held true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Oh. I'm I'm really delighted to hear you say that because it's a really important priority for us. You know, we're we just had our quarterly meeting of the Ethiopian Society Council, so you had your first meeting there. And mm -hmm. we're working on our strategic plan and our number one goal of the three goals we've identified for our upcoming couple of years is a focus on belonging, equity, diversity, inclusion, justice. The, the activism element of Ethiopaganism is something that, that's really important to me, the idea that we're not just doing this to be the best people we can, but also to make the best world we can you know, to redress wrongs and to live in sustainable harmony as best we can with, with the ecosystem, the biosphere. Yeah. So I'm really excited, you know, to hear you articulate, you know, all that political passion because I have a ton of it myself. And <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just so important at this time. Yeah, I think so too. And I think something that has been so wonderful for me coming into this community. I think I didn't know it, but I was really looking for some way to both soothe my own eco-anxiety and, and climate anxiety and, and sort of elevate the work that I do like during the day and sort of the organizing I still do in the evenings as something sacred and something that, you know, wasn't just an intellectual exercise. Yeah. I was always during like the Trump DC era of my life, when I would go to actions that were led by, you know, like progressive Christian groups or, or sometimes indigenous folks, and they would bring that element of, of a spiritual connection. I think there was like a longing on my part that I felt those things too, but I had no, I felt like I couldn't lay claim to those feelings in any way. And being part of the Ethiopian community, I think is a way to sort of like say loud and proud, the earth is sacred and we all believe that and we're here for that. And and you can do that without appropriating anyone's culture or sort of claiming things that aren't yours to claim, but by I think acknowledging what's what belongs to all of us as human beings. It's a framework to access that. And I really appreciate that about this community. Ah. Hmm. Oh. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear you say that. I just kind of like to sit with it for a while. <laughs> the, because we're living in quite a time, you know, it's gotten very late yeah. on, on a number of fronts. And, and it's been far too long on other fronts. And it's just a lot of things are coming to a boil now at the same time. And so being active participants in that is just so essential. I've been really encouraged to see how much interest there is in, in the community, in, you know, standing up for those principles, standing up for, for, for inclusion and for environmentalism and for feminism and for the LGBTQ community and the BIPOC community. And, you know, really saying, you know, drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is where we stand. Yeah, it's really great and really special. And I think one thing that I would love to bring to the community as in part of my role, I guess, on the council is just helping people find their voice if they're having trouble doing that or otherwise facilitate or provide opportunities to 
act on our principles. I don't know. I don't know if I said this at any point, but you know, in my day job now, I am an environmental attorney. I bring, <laughs> thank you. It's, it's pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I do a lot of legal work to try to protect communities facing environmental racism or, or to try to protect ecosystems. And I think that as an attorney, part of my job is to make sure that people who aren't attorneys know that the attorneys can't do everything, right? <laughs> and not that I'm accusing anyone in the community of having those sentiments, but sometimes I, I worry a little bit that it's like, ah, oh, someone will just sue and it'll be fine. Like, no, it won't. And uh -huh. <laughs> there are a million ways that everybody has to stand up for for things they care about and places they care about. And, and those places aren't just like the Grand Canyon or... Niagara Falls or whatever they're like that polluted block down your street or right. you know the water coming out of your tap I mean there is there is something to protect and fight for wherever you live and you know I don't exactly know yet how I can be that sort of resource in the community but that's that's my intention I guess just starting out now and you've also been active in the affinity groups right yeah, so I noticed that we had these things called affinity groups when I first joined and that there wasn't a BIPOC group. So I I guess I started that. You know, I think that in predominantly white spaces, often, at least, you know, speaking purely for myself, there's this sort of impulse to be like, all right, where are the people of color? How do I find them? <laughs> you know, because it's it's sort of a it's another layer of like signal that like this is an okay place to be if there are already other people there who look like you so I didn't really know how to do that without an affinity group so I just made one and it's been really great it's it's a it's a great community of folks we're reading a book together now which is is fun and we're hoping to do sort of a book club type meeting soon I will say like you know speaking particularly as a black person I think that atheopaganism has this particular appeal as like an explicitly modern creation. And I think, it, you know, again, speaking from a distance, I've never been in a community like this before, but I see a lot of hints of sort of pagans meticulously recreating their own genealogy to like mm -hmm. figure out what gods they should worship or what practices they should have or whatever, trying to reconstruct these like ancient practices. And if you're a black person in America, odds are, that's not even an option for you, right? There's only mm -hmm. so far back you can go. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a there's a little psychic relief that I found and like, oh, well, I don't even have to worry about my ability to know, you know, exactly what corner of what place my ancestors came from to like use these tools. I can just focus on the now and focus on the land that I'm on. And I'll say too, now I'm just sort of riffing, but, <laughs> you know, I would really love to just serve as an example of that that this space isn't just for like crunchy white people. And I think that that is a stereotype of paganism that I've mm -hmm. encountered in the black community personally, mm -hmm. that like, you know, it, it's, it's just a stereotype that's out there. And like, we have just as much need and, and right to access these practices as anyone else. So I think there's maybe some unlearning that I had to do and, and some unlearning that lots of us have to do to be, anything we want to be and not just what society says we should be or should stay away from. So I like to, I would like to think that I can help just make explicit that this is a path that is open to everyone, no matter what your origin, no matter what your skin color.
Absolutely. And uh, I was so grateful when you created the BIPOC affinity group because I really wanted there to be one. Obviously, I couldn't have anything to do with the creation of that. And other people in the community were just too busy. They, they, you know, they, they weren't going to make the lift in order to make that happen, but it was so important that it be there. I will say a thing about what you were riffing on, which is that when I first created Atheopaganism, it was just for myself as, you know, an American who doesn't have any like family legacy of English or Irish or Scottish things, just kind of a person plunked here on Turtle Island with a relationship with land, but no inheritance of culture other than capitalism. And so I, you know, I, I crafted it with the idea that it would be modern and informed by modern values. But there are people in the community for whom, you know, like indigenous people, for example, you know, for whom drawing back on those cultural threads is really important. And so totally. it's not it, it, it's not that you that you can't do that. It's that you don't have to. You can still have a a, a powerful practice that's very meaningful to you, um, starting from modernity and your own life and your own experience. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I com completely one thousand percent agree. And I should say, like the you know some of the folks in the BIPOC group are like reading a book about hoodoo which is a magical practice developed mm -hmm. by people who came to America through enslavement and yeah I, I definitely see value in looking back and drawing on on traditions and you know white white American culture in the last 400 years that's a culture too and there's there's stuff to draw from everywhere I think that sorry I'm losing my train of thought here no, there, there's something to draw from. And, and there in every culture, right, there are magical traditions in your, in your family tree, right? And often for people of color, I think they're a little bit overlooked. Um, one great little fact that I read in trying to educate myself more about these traditions in the African American community was that when folks were escaping slavery on the Underground Railroad, they would carry magical totems with them to give them bravery. Mm. And I just love the idea that, you know, sure, there, maybe there's no quote unquote real magic there, but the bravery is real and the political yeah. action it led to is real. So, yeah, I absolutely don't mean to say like working, looking backwards isn't isn't good or isn't worth it or anything. But I, I really appreciate the, the emphasis on modernity and and that you can make this what you want, whether or not you have access to looking back in your own ancestry. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we've been using the term BIPOC. I think that might be a little bit new for some people. Um, some people are familiar with it, but can you define that for our listeners who haven't come across this term before or have only yeah, seen sure. it written? Absolutely. Thanks for that flag. Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, BIPOC. That's what that stands for. And I should say too, you know, our community, the BIPOC group is is small. It's still developing as it should. And I think that we aren't necessarily committed to using that term forever. There are interesting debates happening within various cultural groups in, you know, I can only speak about, I think the U.S., but within the U.S. about what umbrella term we should use to refer to ourselves and and those things are in flux. So that name isn't chiseled in stone, but it's a handy shorthand, I think, for uh, racialized groups in the United mm -hmm. States to, to come together 
in this moment for the purposes of this community. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I, I was just in DC a few weeks ago on a lobby trip and I had the good fortune of getting uh, a reservation to go to the National Museum of African-American Culture and History. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, honestly, I think every American should be marched through there. The, it was profound and infuriating and tragic and inspiring and just an extraordinary experience. And I really recommend it to anyone who doesn't feel that they have a grounding in, in what that experience is at least to the degree that I can get my mind around it as not being that kind of person. I got the chance to go before we left DC and it's, it's an amazing museum. Really hard is. recommend. Yeah. 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 So you're now on the Ethiopian society council and you've talked a little about, you know, some of your, some of the roles that you kind of see yourself as playing within the community. Where, where do you see us going? What, I mean, we're, we're relatively recent. We, I, I published the essay that became the book in 2009, which is now starting to be some years ago, <laughs> but time is slow that way. The council's been around four years at this point. Right, right. Yeah. The, we only just got our nonprofit, you know, status a couple of years ago. And, but that was an important step to say, this is more than about individuals that are working within this community now. We want to create a container and a vehicle for these ideas, you know, to be sustained into the future. So uh, you've, I know you've been to one meeting, but, do you <laughs> but you've have been a member about... of the community for quite a while now as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. A year ish or so. Yeah, man. I, I guess my hopes are really simple <laughs> that it just keeps growing and it, it stays inclusive and that we become a place where folks from all walks of life feel comfortable. I should say I'm also part of the the parents affinity group. I have a, mm -hmm. a young child and we've been talking about some really cool stuff of like maybe a scouting program. And I think that there are so many people who were in a similar boat to me where like they're, they're parenting. They didn't necessarily grow up with a, a pagan, much less atheo-pagan orientation towards things. And they're trying to figure out how to raise kids with these values. So I hope that that space in particular continues to grow. I think I've I've heard you, Mark, maybe on another episode, talk about a book of rituals that you're coming out with. Mm -hmm. I think it would be wonderful if we start seeing folks sharing examples of how they celebrate the mm -hmm. seasons and and life transitions. And I, I know that like some of that is out there already, but I think for for lots of people, including myself, there's both there's like a path paving there that can be really helpful to see examples of how you actually like do atheopaganism <laughs> and, and also a sense of community when, you know, you know, of course, like, you know, a ritual for me here in, in New York city probably wouldn't relate with the land and in, in the same way that it would for either of you in different parts of the world. But it's nice to think about some commonality. Cause I think, you know, mm -hmm. when you're, in Catholic mass and you know that this mass is really similar to a mass happening hundreds of miles away that that builds that sense. So finding common threads with we can, I think would be an, a nice way to keep the community cohesive, even as it continues to 
grow and and spread and and morph based on the geography of of the particular Ethiopian or Ethiopian family. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you mention it, the idea comes to mind. I mean, my book is coming out in April, and it's much more of a how-to book than the first Ethiopianism book, which was the first half of which is theory, really. And then the second is about the principles and, you know, doing rituals and the holidays and all that kind of stuff. But maybe another project would be editing a crowdsourced ritual book. More like an anthology. Yeah. Yeah. So reaching out to the community and getting everybody's, not everybody, but whoever wants to share their insights and sharing that, that could be really that could be amazing. I think. That could be really good. Yeah. I mean, the other, the other thought that I had that I floated a while ago, and it just seems that nobody has the spoons for it, is a parenting book that I would edit, but I can't write because I'm not a parent. <laughs> well, I am really interested in that one. It just needs to, got to get the timing to work on that if other people are interested as well. I, really I, think... I can't do the whole book, but I think that there's some sections that that I'd be able to do. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think the one of the things that we are presented with now as an opportunity is the whole question about families and kids and how we engage families and, you know, basically build culture within family units, right? Which I just think is so exciting. And I know John Cleland Host, who's currently the chair of the Ethiopian Society, I mean, his he kind of stumbled into all of this because <laughs> of wanting to have culture for his children. So yeah, it's that really presents a, a great opportunity, I think. And we're getting yeah. folks now with different ages. I mean, his kids his his oldest are probably gonna be off to college soon. Yes. Right. And a lot yeah. of there, I know there's a lot of us with real little ones, but there's a good range of of ages as well. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, I'm just <laughs> I, I I can see the book sitting on a shelf right now, um, and it's not it's not very thin either. <laughs> there's a there's a lot in it. Well, and even just within the the umbrella of paganism in general, there aren't a lot of parent books i mean there's circle round there's mm-hmm. a, lauren can you think of any others that are i mean when i was pregnant like... i looked and i have circle round sitting on my bookshelf Me um, too. i think there's i'm i'm blanking on the title but there's another book with sort of like things for you know stories for kids of course i think there's all sorts of of material for kids to engage with the seasons but in terms of actual parenting tips or or guide practices no family practices no no i don't think there's if there's stuff out there that i haven't found it so i would be really grateful for some sort of anthology coming out of the community yeah gotta happen (laughs) (laughs) and then of course i don't think there's anything specifically from an atheist point of view Right. There's plenty of, like you were saying, the seasonal kind of secular stuff that's like, yeah, yes, it's fall and the leaves are changing, but right. Right. not right. really something that is, that's coming at it from that angle. Right. Yeah. And I know that 
Like I know some folks who are involved in like Unitarian Universalist congregations, and I think they might have some curriculums and things for kids, but so there, and, and I think the Humanist Society, I don't know, they might have some stuff. They so do. there's probably yeah. like things out there that we could draw from, but nothing that weaves together all of the pieces that make the APO pagan community special. So I think it would be neat if we could make a contribution like that. Boy, I too. like books. I like to have a book in my, like I I appreciate podcasts and blogs and all of that, but there's mm -hmm. something very different in terms of the experience of turning a page and sitting on the, you know, sitting cuddled under the blankets with the kitty cat next to you as you like turn the pages and sip your, your warm drink. It's just a very yeah. different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I will say, I think Mark mentioned the John Cleland host and Pagan Families episode. And Arwen, I think you were in on that one too, right? Um, I was, yeah. I, I bookmarked it and listened to it several times <laughs> because like, oh, there's so much in here. And um, yeah, I think that there's there's endless wisdom that folks who have been parenting in the Pagan community could pass on to folks like me who are just starting out. And it would be wonderful to have it as a book that you could cuddle up with for sure. How old's your little one, by the way? He's one and a half. One and a half. Oh, oh wow. wonderful. Tiny. That is Very great. Little. So yeah. fun, though, right? Everything yeah. is opening up now. Yeah, wow. tons and tons of fun. Yeah, we're, we've been really happy as parents. And yeah, I, I just hope that we're able to raise him with a sense of community. And I think we have that in lots of ways, but um, I would love for him to feel a connection to this community if that feels right to him and um, to, to give him the good parts of being raised with religion that I received without any of the baggage <laughs> would be, would be great if we can figure out how to do that. <laughs> One of the things that I'm really excited about when I think about Ethiopian parenting is giving kids the skills to do rituals themselves mm -hmm. so that they can work with their psychology. Mm -hmm. We don't really give kids very many tools in terms of emotional regulation and, you know, kind of changing your mental state, your emotional frame, all that kind of stuff. We just, we don't see that modeled. And, you know, I just, I'm really excited at the prospect of a 12-year-old who decides, okay, I'm going to light a candle and I'm going to contemplate that candle and it's going to calm me down and I'm going to be okay about what Marianne said at school. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, like you, you know, as your brain is developing in those teenage years, that's when you need those tools the most in some ways. And I think that's why I was so drawn to it as a, a teenage girl myself. And, you know, I've, I have read a fair few, I guess, gentle parenting type books mm -hmm. that that talk about introducing things like breathing techniques to your kids. So I am hopeful that some of that stuff that we might call rituals and other people might call, you know, just mindfulness practices mm -hmm. uh, are making their way into parenting culture with folks who are becoming parents now. But there's there's so much more that could be explored and could be articulated for kids. And I, I would love that for my own child, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because the world of ritual, it it feels so good. And it it can be so enlightening with a lowercase e in terms of understanding yourself 
seeing what your proclivities are and what your core beliefs are and kind of understanding what your lens is on the world and maybe seeing some of the limitations of that and being able to better understand how other people see the world. There's just so much in it. And, you know, I've been a pagan since 1987. And, and Yucca, of course, you know, you were raised pagan. <laughs> and I still feel like I'm only kind of nibbling at the edges of all of the things that it can do for me. Mm-hmm. And the, the richness we're still figuring that it, it out. My life. Yeah, I think as a, so too. As a community, we're really, you know, sorting through that. Yeah. yeah. That, that was one thing, you know, when I thought about, okay, you know, how we're going to, we're going to merge atheism with paganism. How is that going to work? It occurred to me that the big piece that comes with the paganism is 50 or 60 years of experience accumulated in how to do effective rituals. Mm-hmm. because the atheist side didn't have that. We we have lots of folks that come into our community and they're like, help, how do I get started? What do I do first? I, I, I get it with all the values and the worldview, but how do I do this practice? Yeah. 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 One of the things that I really value about that from the parent perspective is that one of the things that we're doing for our kids is helping them to develop skills. And then when they grow up, they're going to go in the direction that they went, right? How many people do, uh, most of, of our community were raised in different religions than their parents, right? And that's okay, right? People make different choices, but I want my kids to have whatever religion they end up being, whether they stay in the pagan community or not, I want them to have those tools to be able to calm themselves down, to look at themselves, all those things that you were just talking about, Mark, and have the those ritual skills, even if, you know, I would, doesn't fit me, but if they decide they want to become theists and they believe in a God, then, then great. They have these skills that they can use within that context that's going to help them live a happier, more fulfilled life. Yeah. And I think it's really beautiful that we're trying to do that as as you know, Ethiopian parents. I think that's beautiful too. And you know, while while we're on this topic and we're talking a little bit about practice, it just occurs to me to name that I I really found the the tools that I had available to me through my practice to be so helpful in getting through like pregnancy and the mm-hmm. newborn stage and and birth then. I had a really tough childbirth experience and it took Mm. me a long time to sort of bounce back from it. And I found the newborn stage really hard. And like, man, if there's ever a time when like, you've got to lean into your your meditative (laughs) or your, your safe place exercises, it's like those first couple of weeks postpartum, right. It's just, it's really tough stuff. And if there, if there's anyone who's out there, who's who's pregnant and thinking about making space for this in their life. Like I, I could not give enough of a thumb, obviously, you know, postpartum also do all the things that you need to do for your mental health, with therapy or, or whatever other support systems you need, but. And I the think physical stuff is, too, right. And the physical stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> like this is, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything that discounts like traditional Western medicine or, or psychotherapy or anything like that. But just having another set of tools, I think, really helped me in early parenthood and the sort of the transition between pregnancy and birth and parenting. I'll also say that I think 
you know, for folks who are trying to figure out ritual practices and, and maybe are also parents of young kids, like it doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't yeah. have to be like, <laughs> I don't have an hour. Like it's a lot of my practices are just extremely short, you know, 45 seconds of... with the bathroom door locked. <laughs> exactly. You know, or picking up, a. I do a lot of sort of like, I guess I'd call them like totems. You know, I have particular little objects that help put me in a particular mindset. You know, it could just be as simple as picking up that particular ring and putting it on your finger, you know, and, and that's enough to shift your mindset. So I think talking about ritual in an abstract way can be a little bit intimidating, but it, it can be as simple, as simple or as elaborate as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find that the things that I have on my focus are all they're things that that have stories associated with them in my mind. So they have an associative meaning, right? It's not just a seashell. It's a seashell that I found when I was 11 on the Costa del Sol in Spain. You know, it's it's got a, that was stirred up by a huge storm that brought all these shells up onto the beach. So the, the charging of, of items which obviously isn't really a physical process. It's a psychological process. It's building a strong association between a thing and a state of mind, right? That's a very, very powerful practice. And it's one that anybody can do. And it's, and it's a way to do a quickie ritual, right? Yeah. You pick up the ring, you put it on. Okay. Now I've got my bravery ring. Yeah, exactly. And I I guess it occurs to me, I don't know if totem is like a word I'm accidentally appropriating from some group, maybe I should say talisman. But yeah, the idea of having an object that just has that story, I think that can be really powerful. And it's really short and simple, but is enough to sometimes turn your day around or give you that extra boost. And I think a lot of my practice has been, you know, especially sort of before I had a kid, it was all stuff to just like make me work harder or make me braver in, in political action. And I'm trying to have a more open mind these days about what I can use it for, that it, it isn't just a thing I should use to help me churn out another couple pages on a legal brief. It's like <laughs> something that I can use to just like expand myself or, or heal myself or just have fun or, or whatever it is. It, yeah, I think I'm trying to broaden my mind and, and encourage other people to have a broad mind about what it can do for you. Yeah. One of the pieces that we, that we often, it doesn't get talked about in the pagan community very much is how pleasurable ritual can be. It just feels good. And that in and of itself is a perfectly fine outcome. (laughs) That that's a great outcome, right? You know, you're, you're, you're in a bad mood. So you go and you do a thing and then you're not in a bad mood. Well, that's wonderful. Or you're yeah. not even in a bad mood to start with. No, you just you're just yeah. Just messing really around feels with good. candles and incense and cool objects, and it just feels really cool, and you feel sort of wizardy, and it's all fun. Yeah, it's inherently fun. Often, yeah, it is. It's play. It's a form of play. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lauren, were there resources that you, you'd mentioned that you had some resources and things you wanted to share with the listeners? Yeah, I do. I have a couple of things. So the the first takes like a, a little bit of explanation, but I don't know if listeners are familiar with the concept of environmental justice or environmental racism, but 
Environmental racism is the disproportionate impact of environmental hazards on people of color. It's a term used at least in the U.S. and I think also internationally. And environmental justice is the idea that basically, in short, you're going to stop poisoning people, period, all people. Sounds like um, a great idea. I like it that. does, doesn't it? Nice and simple. And that definition is from a website called ejnet.org. And they're on that website, and I can share the link for the show notes, there's a list of principles of environmental justice that I find really inspiring. And it was written by a group of uh, people of color, environmentalists, environmental activists in 1991 at a convening. And the very first uh, principle of the, I think it's, it's, yeah, 17. And is that environmental justice action? Is that what EG this is? is? ejnet.org EJ is Net, the okay. website. ejnet, yeah, I can, I can send the link. But the first principle in that document reads, environmental justice affirms the sacredness of Mother Earth, ecological unity, and the interdependence of all species, and the right to be free from ecological destruction. So I just think it's really, really special that, in my mind, part of what atheopaganism is doing is affirming that sacredness of Mother Earth and opening up a path for all people to do that, that really aligns with this foundational document of environmental justice. So I just think that's cool. <laughs> um, I just yeah. teared up a little bit. <laughs> it's really yeah, beautiful. It, really, I, it is. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. And I encourage everybody to, yeah, check out those principles and, and to get involved in environmental justice wherever you are. Um, yeah, just a, a couple of books that I feel like have sort of helped me in this intersection between action, political action and pagan stuff. There's a great book called Revolutionary Witchcraft by Sarah Lyons, yeah. um, a short book. I can't remember if there's theism in there, so sorry if there is, but it's it's really great. It's short, everyone should read it. There's another great book called Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hershey that I just read. And it was one of those real aha books it just talks about ways to honor yourself, honor your body, and kind of break free of what she calls grind culture. So this idea mm. that you have to be productive all the time, that's a product of like capitalism and colonialism. And it's something that I really struggle <laughs> to resist. So I thought that that was great. Two more things. There's this book called Hope in the Dark by the author Rebecca Solnit, I think is how you say it. Yeah. Really short book that just sort of emphasizes don't give up hope that we can make the world a better place. The world is really complicated and things things can and, and do get better even when they seem really bleak. And then the last resource I'll share is this wonderful podcast uh, from Emergence Magazine. And I think that's actually the name of the podcast. And it has episodes on all different topics that explore the connections between culture, spirituality, and ecology. And they've had like Robin Wall Kilmer on, all sorts of, of authors exploring this intersection. And again, some of it might be sort of more like a little bit more woo than some of the folks who listen to this podcast like, but there's a lot of really great stuff there. And listening to each episode is just like a gift. <laughs> so I recommend that as well. And I can I can share like links and and all of those those names and authors in case oh. people want to look them up. And then the last thing I would just say, if you'll indulge me in this like quote, yeah. this quote I really love. I'm not a teacher, only a fellow traveler of whom you asked the way. I pointed ahead, ahead of myself as well as you. So please like 
I offer mm-hmm. everything I've said with humility. I, I'm working all of this out myself and I'm really happy to be working it out with other folks in this community. So, yeah. Oh, that's really beautiful. Thank you. You know, fun fact, the first pagan ritual I ever went to when I was invited by a friend back in 1987 was to a coven which included Rebecca Solnit's brother. Wow. (laughs) Small world. (laughs) Yep, very small world. Well, I guess that's another example of these connections between the activist world and the pagan world run yep. run deeper and are everywhere. Yep, yeah, they are. Well, Lauren, well, Lauren, thank you so oh. much. <laughs> They're saying the same thing, but no, really, this is so exciting to have you here with us and part of the community and just everything you're saying is just, just yes. <laughs> so wonderful. So <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you for your work. Yeah. You know, those of us that are in the environmental field can feel really beat up a lot of the time. And the organizations we work for, even the big ones, are under-resourced relative to the industries that they're up against and the headwinds politically that they're up against. And so thank you for all the effort it took to get the credentials that you needed to be able to do the work you're doing and for the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you. That's very kind, and it's it's my pleasure to do it, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to just come on here and and riff on all these things, and you know, thank thank you both for creating this community that's been such a source of, and and for everyone really who's involved who who are co-creating this community that's been such a wonderful space. It's you know after a hard day of doing hard stuff and thinking about pollution on long timelines. <laughs> it's such a wonderful treat to just like listen to an episode of this podcast or check out the Facebook group. It's been a tremendous source of, of solace for me. And I hope that it is for, for other activists who might find their way into this space. So yeah, really, really grateful all around. Well, thank you so much. And with that, I think that's a good place for us to stop. Gratitude is always a good place to land on. So Thanks once again. Thanks to all our listeners. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Wonder, Science-Based Paganism.